Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So today on Dig It, we're joined by two guests, uh, Peter. We've got uh, Jill Groombridge from the Plant Heritage Charity, and okay. we've also got a national collection holder, Jonathan Shepherd. So right. we thought it'd be quite nice to, to kick off this podcast by chatting to the actual Plant Heritage people behind the National Plant Collection. So we're delighted mm. that we're going to be joined by Jill. Now, I caught up with Jill back in February at the, um, the Garden Press Day at the Business Design Centre in London, um, okay. a very chilly day. And uh, I know, I know uh, Jill was very keen to chat to us about the, the wonderful work Plant Heritage do and, of course, the National Collection holders across the UK. So we're delighted that uh, Jill has joined us today. So, Jill, can we ask you, first of all, by explaining a little bit about the, the Plant Heritage charity? Oh, yes, certainly. Um, plant Heritage is all about saving garden plants, conserving the diversity of plants in the UK. Um, and we started way back in 1978 um, when the Chris Brickell, the Director General of the RHS, convened a conference that uh, brought together well, about 100 representatives from botanic gardens and colleges and nurseries um, because uh, at that time there was a concern simply about losing the diversity of plants in, in gardens and that what people were growing. Um, and so from that point, we were previously called the National Council for the Conservation of Plants and Gardens, and that's um, how we started out. Okay. Um, and then we're 45 years later, um, we have a very strong and, and diverse range of national plant collections, and we've achieved a milestone of 700 national plant collections. Wow, you've got 700 national collections. And, and what makes up a collection? Is it just one variety of plant or one species of plant? How, how, how do you class? Um, yes, and national plant collections are all unique and indiv individual, um, although they're, they're not always run by individuals. Anybody from, we have national plant collections at botanic gardens and large public gardens like, you know, RHS Wisley, um, you know, Kew, Babel Gardens. And down to nurseries, people have collections in a lot in uh, allotments, and then you have a, a quite a number of individuals who have collections in their back gardens. And more recently, obviously, the popularity of indoor plants. You can have an indoor collection. Wow. Okay. Oh yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I, I'd always assumed. Sorry, I'd always assumed it was outdoor plants, but that's, okay, yeah. that's interesting. No. Cool. No, I mean obviously indoor plants. Indoor plants can be sort of the, you know the warm greenhouse plants, the plants where mm. they need warm greenhouses and obviously in the last year that's been a challenge for some collection holders with obviously the rather interesting heating bills um, but then obviously some people have got house plants simply in their home um, you know and there is a lot of variety and you know range in, in house plants. Okay so with regards to sort of the plants that people are collecting there's no sort of criteria as to what is a good collection as it were you can have anything from apple trees to I'm going to say wheat plants. Or... Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the key to a national plant collection, um, I mean, a, a, a national plant collection is, to, in simplistic terms, is a living library of plants. It's a living resource of plants. And the idea of a national plant collection is it's open to, to for contact. You know, it could be open by appointment. It could be a garden that's already open to the public. Um, and people can talk about plants or email, exchange information, or they want to make, might exchange plant material. But the idea is that we list them in, we produce a directory, the National Plant Collection Directory, and we list all the collections in the directory so that people can get in touch with experts. So 
so that we can share information. And if we share information and we share plants, uh, we're saving plants. They're not becoming endangered. Um, but not, not only that, within all that process, you're quite often sharing knowledge and people don't realise that they're sharing knowledge. And that's a, a fundamental point to looking after mm. plants, I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a great... Um, but sorry, to answer your original question, I think you asked, you know, the variety of collections. Another key thing for a collection is they have to be passionate about the plants they're growing because mm. the collection will not be successful if someone doesn't feel the passion yeah. um, and to the world, the collectors, they, they love collecting a particular plant. They love every aspect of the plant. They want to research it. They want to keep the records. They, they're sharing yeah. and talking to other experts in these plants. And so it's a sort of a community thing in many ways, but the collection holder is the, the, the sort of the, the main, well, what we call the public resource, for want mm. a better word. Mm. Yeah, so that yeah sort of brought me on to my sort of my next question about what inspires people. I, I mean, yes, the passion, as you say, to develop these. It, it does seem, though, I don't know, Peter, such a huge responsibility to take mm. on this sort of. I mean, it, it is a, a, a to say a labour of love is probably an understatement, isn't it, Jill? Yes, it is. It, it is a huge responsibility um, in some respects, um, but you know, at the end of the day. Um, you know, people do their best because they love the plants they're growing for. And obviously, if it's in an organisation, you know, there's always someone who's responsible for looking after the plants within an organisation. And, you know, inevitably things happen. Um, you know, a, a disease might come in, an environmental disaster. You know, the, the winter last year mm. has certainly had an effect on a couple of collections. Um, I know I personally have lost quite a lot of plants. Mm. Um, so there's some things you can't sort of mitigate for. But we do ask collection holders to generally have three of each plant, but not when it's like trees. You can't expect to have three <laughs> massive oaks of every type of oak no. tree because you'd want quite a bit of land for that one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've got to be realistic about these things. But, you know, it, it is important that in general you have three plants of each. And it's usually what's available in the UK. And, you know, that can vary depending on the plant group that somebody might want to have a collection of because some plant groups are enormous. Mm. Um, you know, we've got Campanula listed as one of our, we don't have a national plant collection of Campanula registered at the moment, but it is quite a big uh, genus. There's a lot of plants and, you know, for someone to have a space to grow all of those, that's a huge commitment. Mm. So for some collections or where, where we can or where it's practical, you, you know, a, a person who wants to have a national plant collection could define that they're going to collect the plants that were bred by someone. Specifically, you know, you've got a collection of iris bred by Sir Cedric Morris. You've got iris collection bred by Sir Michael Foster. Um, mm. And that becomes much more manageable mm. and means that different people have smaller sections, you know, of irises, um, which is also a good thing. Well, I guess it spreads the collections out a bit as well, doesn't it? So you know, maybe that's yeah. a good thing for sort of... Diversity. So, if you've got a collection of um, irises, say in Cambridge, and some up in Doncaster, then it's yeah. a mm -hmm. sort of nice spread around the country, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, so. yes, because obviously you get you know um, geographical variations, um, you know, and obviously there's always uh, everyone is always looking out for potential pests and diseases. So, you know, if a pest and disease affected you know one area of the country, you've got a collection in another mm -hmm. part of the country. Um, those plants are safe. You're, you're sort of yeah. again looking after, you know, the possible risks to the plant. 
So, Jill, 2023 is, is a big year for, your, uh, for, for Plant Heritage. Um, can you tell us a little bit, bit more about that? Yes, 2023 is a very exciting year for Plant Heritage. In January, as we previously mentioned, we reached the milestone of having 700 national plant collections. Mm-hmm. Um, I think back in 1984, we had about 200 national plant collections. Wow. And it's a number that dips, it, it dips up and down because obviously, you know, we lose collections, we gain collections. But, you know, we've, uh, so we're delighted we've achieved 700 national plant collections this year. This is also our 45th anniversary from the inaugural sort of meeting back in 1978. Mm. So we're, we're calling it our 45th sapphire anniversary. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be celebrating that next year, uh, next year, next week, um, at RHS Hampton Court Palace Garden okay. Festival. And we've got a special celebration event um, on the 27th of September in RHS Wisley. Okay. Wow. Mm. So uh, it is a big year for us. Um, and we're delighted at where, you know, what we've achieved and where we've come from. Well, 700 collections is an enormous amount. It and is, yeah. Just, just thinking, uh, do other countries have national collections and where do we stand in the sort of league table? Do you do you have such a thing? <laughs> uh, not a league table as such. Um, you know, we we like to think that we've got a, a, a very robust system for accrediting national plant collections. They're accredited by an expert body, um, of people in the UK, and it's quite a formal system. Right. Um, but to answer your question, yes, there are other organisations, uh, organisations uh, in Australia, in France, um, I think there's one in Germany, um, and the USA has different. They're all slightly different, though. They're not all exactly the same, but you know, they are where people have recognised collections of plants. Okay. Possibly ours is mainly a bit more formal, but you know, I couldn't wouldn't like to comment precisely on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Better not start an international no. ruckus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we? we've, got, we've got enough of those going on at the moment. Yeah. Um, Jill, obviously, yeah, Hampton Court, as you mentioned, uh, next week or so. Obviously, it's a it's a big show for for Plant Heritage. So, what are, uh, are visitors likely to see at uh, at the show this this year? Um, yes, we're literally doing um, all of our preparations at the moment. Um, we uh, have a display where we with a you know, timeline looking about the last four and a half decades of plant heritage with some select national plant collections. Squires Garden Centres are very kindly supporting us with a 45th garden where we're going to work with a new national plant collection holder of uh, Persica Roses. Okay. Um, Daniel Myerhill. So we're very excited because it's the first time these roses will have been uh, seen as a national plant collection at um, RHS Hampton. We have, we're promoting our missing genera. We always like to promote, well, this year we've got 12 plant groups that we promote um, where we don't have national plant collections. Okay. Um, because obviously we're always looking to add more collections uh, to the scheme because the more collections we have, the more plants that are saved or conserved and protected. And the more, the bigger the plant community that we can, uh, you know, create, which is, you know, a good thing for us all. Um, we also have uh, our Threatened Plant of the Year competition, which is our fourth year of running our Threatened Plant of the Year competition. Um, and uh, we will be having a public vote on that, which will open up next Monday. Um, it is on our website, the Threatened Plant of the Year and the Missing Genera. It's under the, um, the collections and the conservation tabs on our website. So we've got quite a lot of activity, and we also have some special national plant collections doing their own displays. We've got uh, Barry Clark with his uh, Calicanthus, and Asclepias and Gonfort Castle. 
Um, we have a mini hospice display from Jonathan Hogarth where he looks at all the ways you should look after mini hospices, um, right from propagating them to looking after or trying to keep the wonderful slugs at bay. Mm-hmm. And we have the Howard Hilliard Garden. Uh, and we also have uh, Jonathan Shepard with his uh, very floriferous uh, National Park collection of uh, Cosmo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing that in flower, which will be wonderful, I think. Brilliant. Yeah, because we're having a chat to him next, so we're looking forward to learning all about Cosmos and Elysius, so that'll be fun. And do you have a favourite collection of plants amongst all your 700 collections? Um, that's a really difficult question. Um, <laughs> I'm, someone who, I'm someone who likes all types of plants. Um, I do have a particular, I particularly like Australasian plants. Um, you know, okay. I like gum trees and um, calistamine. And uh, tea trees that just firm them. Um, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I, I move, I move with the wind, um, as it were. <laughs> and I'd like to learn about everyone and everyone I like because there's something in every of them, every all of them for me. Excellent. No, I think that's the best yeah. thing about plants, isn't it? They've all got slightly different habitat uh, habits and uh, yeah. flowers and smells and all of those sorts. And, of things. and seasonality as well, isn't it? Yeah, as we go into the different seasons. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the great, the great thing about great thing about plants is there's one for everybody. That's very true. Yes. Yeah. And if there's not, there should be one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so, so Jill, how do our Dig It listeners find out more about plant heritage? Yes, indeed. I'd I, 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 uh, direct visitors there if they've got a moment to go to our website. It's plantheritage.org.uk. There's pages on, you can literally search the National Plant Collections, uh, so you can find out what National Plant Collections are in your area, okay. um, and which National Plant Collections are open to the public, because they quite often have open days. Um, so you, there's a whole list of events um, with all the open days listed. Um, we're always welcome people support. Um, we're a membership organisation, mm-hmm. so you know you can have a read at how you can help, but we love more people to get involved and to help and to you know just just mm-hmm. enjoy the story of plants, really. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, that's re- 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 absolutely fascinating, and it's really sort of painted a really good picture. And I'm, I'm sure there's many people out there who would love to to, to start a collection. I mean, I, uh, I I went to to Chelsea this year, and I saw a, a wonderful collection of Calivias at the okay. show. And one yes. thing which I was amazed yeah. at um, was the fact that you you showed the whole process of growing a a plant, which I never really knew you grow from seed, right from seed up to maturity. And I think educationally, I think you're doing a a fabulous job. I think that's you know a really important part of of what you're doing, and you're doing it very very well. So that's all mm. good. Brilliant. Thank you very much no, for you. your time today, Joe. It's been very interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from Jonathan next about what his collection's all about. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jill. So for the second part of this podcast, we're going to be chatting to Jonathan Shepherd, who's the National Plant Collection Holder of Cosmos and Alciers. So. Jonathan, welcome to Ticket on a glorious summer's day. And maybe you could tell us where we can find you on this, this lovely day. Well, firstly, uh, th- thanks for inviting me. It- it's good to be here. Uh, I'm based in a little village called uh, Brant Bruton. Uh, and I get in trouble because uh, a lot of people call it Brant Broughton and, and uh, locals of which, obviously, <laughs> I'm not because I haven't lived here for 300 years. Uh, tell everybody <laughs> off if they don't say it properly. But it's, it's in Lincolnshire, so uh, what mm. you see is just uh, very flat. They're very proud. It's quite near what they call the Cliff Villages, which uh, me coming from Derbyshire doesn't particularly look like any kind of rolling hills. But we're equidistant from Lincoln, Grantham, 
and Newark in Nottinghamshire. Oh. So from the back of my sort of my plot, I can just about see Lincoln Cathedral ten miles away in the distance. Wow. Okay. Mm. Excellent. That's a nice view. It's a lovely cathedral, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we you know, we bought this plot. I mean it sounds silly is because land was relatively cheaper in Lincolnshire and so it's this two acre plot that we got, I guess, about twelve years ago and I sort of was scratching my head about, you know, what to do with it. So that we'll probably come on to what I've been doing with it. Excellent. And you know, uh, well, yeah, I guess that leads us to the first question. What, uh, what made uh, you've got two collections now, haven't you? You've got Cosmos and Al- Alcius. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so yes, yeah, so I've got, I've got. I mean, I'm, I'm not that, that, that. I think it's quite, quite posh. I just call them the Hollyhocks. People know them by their sort of mm. their, their, their general name. Uh, and I guess how it came about was, you know, I've always been interested in gardening, in a sense that that before I went to university, I went and actually worked on a garden nursery in the summer before I headed off to nursery and they had me cutting thorns off of roses because they were doing the budding which then put me off roses for the next probably 15 (laughs) years I hated the things Uh, and then you know went and had a career and I lived in in in, in Brighton and so you didn't even get a garden there and and quite frankly I've got a pig shed that was bigger than the flat that I could afford but I've always (laughs) been interested in gardening but purely as an amateur, so this is in, in no way kind of my, my, my job. I'm not good enough uh, to be, you know, what I would call a proper horticulturist. That those kind of people amaze me. So to that end, we we got, we got this place with two acres because, you know, I think green spaces are really important, and we we're lucky enough to have it. Uh, and we was playing around with ideas about, you know, what to do with it. I think people had kept, you know, a horse on it because uh, there's a dilapidated old stables. Anyway, okay. so cut cut this. Sort of rambling story fairly shortly. It was a chance meeting at Hampton Court Flower Show in 2019, and I think that's probably the first flower show I'd actually ever visited. And I bumped into, I can't even remember who it was, somebody from a, an organisation called Plant Heritage who I'd never heard of. Right. Mm. And they had this, this campaign where they were looking for collection holders of plants which didn't have collections. Well, first of all, you know, I didn't, what, what did they mean by a collection? So I had a chat with them, and I was astounded that two types of plants, which I assumed everybody loved, even though they're not natives, you know, they've been in this in this country for for centuries. You know, they'd be regarded as, to me, cottage garden favourites, and there was no collections. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, well, I've always enjoyed growing both the hollyhocks and cosmos. Uh, right. So me being me, always up for a challenge. I, you know, I scratched my head and I thought, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen here? Uh, you know, I spent some time investigating these plants. I grow a few more of them, but it doesn't qualify for a national collection. So at that, you know, literally at Hampton Court, I signed up to Plant Heritage. I went back home and I had a think. I actually filled in forms with proposals to establish both collections literally right away. But right. decided, you know, a bit more common sense came into it. I thought, well, you know, hang on, <laughs> let's not bite off more more than we can chew. That's how I ended up signing up to doing the London Marathon four times, thinking that you could do everything. Uh, don't do uh, don't do anything silly. So I thought, well, you know, the hollyhocks might be a little bit more tricky because they have their own issues. So let's have a go at that. Right. So literally, you know, I mean, we'll sort of carry on. So my form for this. You have to fill in a proper proposal about what you intend to do and how you intend to do it. And it goes in front of a committee and they, it was accepted by the committee. And, and again, you know, not, not wanting to be, to be sort of blowing my own trumpet, but I, I think they would be very keen to accept 
any kind of proposal as long as it's fairly watertight about what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So they gave me a bit of advice. And then fast forward to September 2020, which in one way, you know, shows that the collection is actually really still very quite young, but seems years away now to me. Uh, it was awarded full collection status. Now, obviously, there's Fantastic. quite a few steps in between, but that's the kind of timescale that, 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 that we've been looking at. So the Hollyhock collection wow. has literally, this September, will only have been in existence in its format for three years. So compared to some of the collections, which will be, you know, these vast trees that have been, been sort of in people's gardens or dispersed for centuries or decades, this mm-hmm. is a very new collection. Wow. Oh, yeah. and, and how many plants do you need to form a collection? Oh, crikey. So, so in, look, in, in my view, that, that, that you have to be honest, it would be a bit like, I know there's the Sweet Pea collection, and, and I think uh, Roger Parsons has done a book, and he's, he's identified that something like, you know, there's been 7,000 different Sweet Peas named. There's in no way could you almost <laughs> have them all, yeah. uh, because, it's, you know... It, there wouldn't be enough yet. space to do them. So, so part of my role was almost doing that kind of research, was finding out, okay, well, what hollyhock ne- names are available? So you can get old books where mm-hmm. some of these cultivars have absolutely gone extinct. One was called Sutton's, so I contact, obviously, I'm assuming it's named Sutton after the seed company. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they'd never heard, they've never heard of it. So, you know, that's <laughs> probably com- okay. complete, completely gone. So... Mm. I literally did as much research as I could, and and I thought, well, look, I, you can buy plants, in, and, and to me, and it's it's not cheating, but I felt it. I was cheating myself. I said, I think I should grow all, try and grow all these from seed. Okay. And wow. I got sixty-five different cultivars, and then you don't just grow one, because you know, ideally, you know, you want probably minimum of three plants of each cultivar. But I went for five, and then I did a plan B and a plan C, and right. so. It's a bit like, I liken it to, I used to actually, my day job's a political lobbyist, uh, and I used to work for the post office, and people, you know, would MPs would ask, how many post offices have you got? And it would be, well, it depends what day you ask, because some are permanently closed, some are temporarily closed, it's 19,000 <laughs> a day. And, it's, and, and, and being realistic, it's a bit like that with my collection, because, you know, they're regarded as, depending on who you are, short-lived perennials. Mm-hmm. So... In the first year, there were 65. The next year, I had a few, but then I need to check, well, actually, that's not come back. Why is that not come back? Let, let's log why it's, you know, that it's not come back, mm-hmm. so I need to re-sow and do things like that. So I would you know, happily say there's 65 individual cultivars, plus then, just because I think you, you know, I should grow them, if there's a mix of seeds where they haven't sort of separated them into individual cultivars, so there might be a, a queenie mix, it'd be called mm-hmm. i would grow that as well right so that there, there'll certainly be a lot more plants than there are cultivars i then also grow sort of seeds that have cross-pollinated just because think a you know down the borders of the plot why wouldn't you have just add more color because the bees and the pollinators love these hollyhocks even though they're not native so there'll be a lot more plants but specifically for the hollyhock collection there'll be i would say to say the 65 cultivars and I'm obviously always trying to add to them. So I discovered last year that there was a new hollyhock that had come out called Purple Rain. And apparently, you know, the seed's been, uh, this, this, the, the breeding program's taken about 16 years to get this thing to market. Oh, wow. So I'm going to have a go at, at growing that. 
Wow. And yeah. you know, for all, for all I know, I might say, "Oh, it's wonderful," or I might think, "Oh, well, that's a bit naff," because that's that you know, and it's, and it's obviously it's all an opinion. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, people come to me as which I don't regard myself as the expert, but they'll say, you know, what do you think of of, of this plant? Because mm-hmm. you know, I'm probably the only one growing all of these different ones mm-hmm. together, and that that opens up so many issues. So, for example, there was one cultivar i think it was called black current world that was regarded as quite rare or under threat i've grown it now to my naked eye without doing genetic tests it looks exactly the same as creme de cassis which isn't under threat right so i'm questioning well has a seed company just changed its name for marketing purposes which absolutely happens all the time yeah Yeah, i'm sure it does and and therefore but therefore it's like well who do you provide this information to that's part of the the purpose of the national collection is okay this is the one place where they're all grown together this is where we find the information out there isn't any international registrar for these things so i've got some of this information and i'll feed it back to either plant heritage or to the rhs and they will do with it what what they see fit so it's 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 an educational process in itself for me as much as anything I was going to say, John. I was going to say, Jonathan. You, you're going to have a lot of data. You're going to have a lot of information and cultural growing advice as well, which you can feed into the system. But on, on your um, on your hollyhocks, I mean, how how much space do they sort of take up in view of the fact you've got sixty five varieties? You're growing three or five of oh, each. What's what sort of yeah, crikey. So so the yeah the way I did it, which is which is why it's it's when, when people think you know oh can I come and have a look at your garden? I always have to be very wary. Say well, it doesn't really look like. Uh, what I think, in my mind, people regard as a beautiful formal garden, because certainly for the hollyhocks, to to ensure, you know to almost separate each cultivar. Is what I did, and I hate the stuff, but until I've got lots of money, it's what I had to use. I, had, I essentially used some weed matting and marked out 100 in a grid system, so it almost looks like a chessboard from Google Maps. Uh, 100 one meter square kind of plots in the ground, and each square. Had a, had had five of the hollyhocks in that were then labelled up with a big stake and a proper label and accession numbers and things like that. So that's a fair old space. So I'm you know very open to say, look, uh, you couldn't have a hollyhock collection unless you had a big garden. Mm-hmm. But you know, I always say, you know, but don't worry about if people are thinking about doing a national collection because there are lots of other different types of plants that, quite frankly, some that you know will be grown in somebody's front front room. You know, that the, there's a national collection of spider plants. So mm-hmm. people shouldn't worry thinking that national collections are only for botanic gardens or people with big gardens, because it's not, because there's lots of other plants. But but absolutely, you know, it's, take, it, 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 it's, it's used a lot of space. But for me, being surrounded by farmland uh, and seeing, in some instances, monocultures mm-hmm. uh, being developed and spraying going on, and, you know, I don't use pesticides on the plot, uh, I think it's a good use of this two-acre plot in Lincolnshire to see, you know, to actually these national collections are actually quite a valuable now asset. Mm, definitely. And like, as you've got so many plants, have you noticed many differences in the way they grow or the length of time they take to come into flower? Or Yeah, yeah to, to some extent. So, so uh, I mean... Some seem more biennial than, than, than others. You know, I, I know for a fact that if I started sort of sowing some hollyhocks, let's say now or even in September, you can cheat the biennial nature and get flowering within 12 months. 
Uh, I like some of the, the newer varieties, so some of the halo varieties, which I think were bred by Thompson and Morgan, have lovely flowers, but actually the plants seem to be a little bit weaker, if that makes sense, yep. compared mm-hmm. to what you would call uh, the old, I don't like to use the word fashion because fashion's a big threat <laughs> to plants, which is why plant heritage exists in the first place. Sure. But what some people would regard as the old-fashioned varieties, so some of the, the, you know, the Nigra, which is a big, robust, and it has almost black flowers, and it's just so striking, that those seem to be much stronger plants. And, sure. and you know, I am no ex, I'm no expert in breeding, but sometimes I think the let's say the overbreeding to get certain aspects on a plant actually can lead to a weaker plant. Definitely. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, we will probably touch on, on rust sort of going forward and some of the issues, but, 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 you know, some plants fare better than others. And it's just, you know, again, within three years, I still haven't learned enough because, you know, it's an ongoing process of, you know, which plants do better in what conditions there's the, the constant joke that's always thrown to me with hollyhocks is what's the point in having a national collection they love growing in cracks in pavements anyone can grow them <laughs> uh, which, is, which is always amusing when you're you know spending money and, <laughs> and trying to promote these things definitely yeah. and had you grown any before you started your collection or was it literally let's 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 pick a variety of plant and off we go yeah. no i mean this was this is one of the reasons why i was so surprised that 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 uh, there wasn't a national collection. I'd grown them. It was always amusing that in the village, because again, I've not lived there 300 years, I was told you can't grow hollyhocks here. What I think they meant was you can't grow hollyhocks without getting uh, rust, but I think that's the case anywhere. I'd grown hollyhocks and, and quite like them and think they're an amazing plant, saw that there wasn't a collection, and, and, and that's why I thought, okay, well, look, you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert at, at growing these, and, and you know, we'll, we'll obviously along the way, you know, learn more about this plant and, mm-hmm. and some of the things it likes and some of the things it doesn't. So, but, so I'd grown some, but for example, what doing a national collection has taught me compared to what I would do, say, in just my everyday gardening is, is labelling. If I had a hollyhock before, I wouldn't bother labelling it because, quite frankly, yeah. I didn't really care about the name or where it was from. It's, oh, it's a nice colour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a national collection, it's like, okay, well, this is, this is a chaitus salmon pink and Oh, hang on! This is another one, and these are very, very similar, and they could be the same. And two companies are calling it the same name. Labeling is far more important. Okay. Uh, so, so that was sort of you know grown them before, but now it's kind of more. I'm, I, it's the other side of things, and 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 doing the labeling that the national collections have taught me. So I guess all the documenting and mm. keeping records as well, I suppose. Was, uh, what did we plant there if the fables <laughs> gone yeah. walkabout? Yeah. It's like, oh, oh yeah. So, so, so for example, in, in that respect, there's there's kind of there's so many fail safes that that I've got I've got labels on massive wood stakes which are on waterproof labels. It's logged on like an Excel file, and that's why the grid system was useful, because even if all the labels <laughs> fall off, and yeah. there is cross-pollination, which we'll come on to, which is almost impossible to stop. And then, as you know, hollyhocks produce so many seeds, so you'll have a one that's growing where it shouldn't be growing. But I will know from my log what should be growing in that one meter square. Uh, and at the same time, Plant Heritage have this excellent database where you can log stuff online and, and log where it is and put notes and put photographs on, which then can link to the RHS. Now, 
know, I don't know how much, you know, how much interest, for example, the RHS has on my Hollyoaks. I don't think they have a huge amount because when, you know, when you raise stuff like these two are called the same, do I need to tell anyone? It's like, okay, well, you're the expert, so you'll be the one that needs to know this <laughs> because there's not, it's almost, there's not enough time for them to be interested in every type of plant. So by doing this, all of a sudden you become the font of all knowledge and you'll say, well, actually, I think these two are the same. Mm. I can't prove it because I'm not a scientist and I'm, you know, mm. but, the but to the yeah. naked, no, but to, to the naked eye, they, they look the same. Mm. So it's yeah. almost, I keep the notes and, it, and, and, and et cetera. And it's only when, if somebody's really interested in it, uh, may they get drawn upon. Mm. Yeah, Jonathan, on your on your hollyhocks, any sort of special growing treatments which our listeners might glean from your obviously um, your work? Yeah, well, I mean, what was really interesting, what I found is is, is almost by accident, is mm-hmm. is that I've got two for my sins because you know this hobby has suddenly become more encompassing. I've got two seventy-two foot polytunnels now, and partially that's because <laughs> to, to to do a a flower show but i planted some hollyhocks in, in 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 the ground in one of the polytunnels now you know that polytunnel once one one day last summer i accidentally didn't open the doors and it got to 70 degrees and some of the plant pots started melting it got that hot uh, it still gets to, to, to 55 during the summer with the doors open because i haven't got fan systems and all the rest these hollyhocks are growing in the ground no water goes on the ground because i don't actually generally use it now to grow in the ground those hollyhocks come up every year find their own water and don't get rust mm. that to me is fascinating wow. uh, in the sense that that, that that you know we'll talk about uh issues with regards climate change and, and what we need to have sort of robust landscapes well hollyhocks have been here for 500 years uh, they're not invasive, even though they're not natives. They can clearly cope with extra heat. They're clearly drought tolerant. Uh, they have issues with rust. Now, let's come on to that. That's a big issue that everybody talks about. You know, what do I do to get rid of rust? I have a different kind of perspective, having now grown all these hollyhocks. If you grow hollyhocks, you should ex- manage your expectations. So you should expect to get it. Mm. I will never take hollyhocks to a flower show because in my mind, the only way you can guarantee to not get it is to spray them with fungicide quite a lot. And I've heard of growers and they openly admit it to, to show their hollyhocks, they sprayed loads. Now that to me is quite, you know, can be quite damaging to bees. So accept that it will get it and try and mitigate it. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can buy what, what's called rust resistant hollyhocks. Sometimes people misunderstand the meaning. They think it means they won't get it. It doesn't mean they won't get it. It just means they're more, ro- ro- yeah. uh, they're more robust yeah. to standing up to it. So I've got some, they're called Althea fissifolia, the fig leaf ones that, that will come back every year. They're beautiful yellow ones. The, 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 they'll get a bit of rust when it's humid and damp. With summers becoming hotter, actually, that's actually helping the hollyhocks. I noticed that last year when it was really dry and hot, the rust had nothing to kind of cling on to. Mm-hmm. Uh, remove all the leaves, uh, destroy them in the way that you see fit. I know a lot of people don't like sort of to be burning leaves in a little incinerator, but if you live in, in, in the countryside, that may be more acceptable than other places. Alternatively, give them uh, into your council green waste bin and accept the plant kind of for what it is for me so if you don't like the unsightly leaves you take them off it's a back of border plant that you can underplant and i think it's almost people have to change their perception because rust is you know in victorian times it's why they did go out of fashion they called it the scourge 
<laughs> and when it came, it kind of decimated sort of them as they were being used as cut flowers. They were hugely popular. And then this disease came and, 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 and their popularity sort of went out of the window and kind of never recovered. And it's ever since it's been seen as a, a grandma's plant. So that would be the advice is don't worry about the rust. And also, you know, treat, if you really had to, treat the planters at this short-lived perennial where, you know, rust may eventually kill off your plant. So, you know, Christ, you know, what's the price of a pack of seeds? Grow some more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. So that's my advice is give them a go and don't be afraid about this Mm -hmm. kind of thing because the, 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 the payback is the amazing flowers that can be, you know, six, seven, eight feet tall depending mm. on yeah. the conditions. Mm. As I say, that, that probably leads us to another question. What, what's the tallest hollyhocks you've you've grown on your on your, your site? Oh, crikey. I mean, I think, I think it, this, this is where it, you know, it shows that you know, gardeners can do all they want and put them in the place that they want. It will, it will be a self-seeded mm. kind of, cross that has been about nine foot tall that looks amazing that's not a specific cultivar because it decided that was the place that it wanted where you know it went into some hole where you know the the root could squeeze in which which gave it lots of stability which is why you know that's why you get the joke that they're growing cracks the reason that it does well in a crack is that it's a massive plant and that the tap root can go down and if it and if it gets in there it's actually quite a good position it doesn't start rocking which is a problem when you're again you know growing them in lincolnshire and it's that flat and, and, <laughs> and 20 mile an hour wind <laughs> yeah uh, you know we, you know we, we used to be surrounded by conifers which had to be taken out because they'd be constantly snapping in the wind uh wow. and when you've got a collection and you're doing it as an amateur quite frankly i couldn't even afford to, to stake them all up even if i wanted to so you know that th- that that's an issue so you know it, w- it will be generally one of the crossbred cross-pollinated sorry ones because they're the ones that you know it's survival of the fittest isn't it yeah it's the, the seed that eventually you know comes along it, it, it is a whopper whereas some of the say some of the halo ones are actually you know you'd almost regard them sometimes in, in the growing conditions quite dwarf they some of them you know may only come up to sort of waist height depending on the conditions that you're growing them in which is no bad thing because then then you know you can grow that in a smaller garden this is what i say you know there might be a hollyhock out there for everyone excellent and where do hollyhocks actually come from oh all over the you know there's sort of persia as it was called you know you you, you look at the history and it's various places but but you know from warmer climates mm. Mm. And places like that and so there's this huge debate on when they arrived but it is around about they reckon around about 500 years ago so okay. this again comes back to sort of the, the question of natives versus wildflowers and i know, I know that, that, that i know the rhs are looking more at this and, and i have strong views that cultivars actually have as many answers as native wildflowers to changes in the climate uh you know, and we know that, that hollyhocks aren't invasive because they've been around for that long. They're actually grown, I believe, as a crop in Flintshire. They try to grow it to make cloth out of the fibrous okay. kind of stems, yeah, yeah. but they, oh. they didn't have the tech not they didn't have the technology in Victorian times. Okay. So, you know, they're an edible flower. The the Chinese actually eat the leaves. Uh, quite frankly I wouldn't. Uh having nibbled on one i think there are better things just because you can doesn't mean you should <laughs> uh, so, so so you know that you know some of some of these some of these cultivars may well have some great answer it's even you know that, that it's absolutely full of bumblebees and so i take the arguments that you know, native flowers attract a wider scope of 
of plants. But, you know, we'll come on to Cosmos as well, that some of these non-natives may well extend the the season uh, with regards flowering so that with changing weather conditions, I think we need to look more at some of the stuff that's growing in gardens and whether it can help sort of the, the you know, the, the wider landscape more robust. And I always use the analogy, you know, people then get worried about that. But it's like, well, apple trees aren't native. Mm. Horse chestnut trees aren't natives. We wouldn't go and pull them all out of the landscape. Yeah. They're now adding something that wasn't there. And if we just wait for natives to solve the solution, well, some of the natives might not be able to cope with the changing weather conditions. Mm. Yeah. So, which is why I hope, you know, the RHS will be drawing on more of this information from, you know, a bit like that they, they, they clearly can cope with 55 degree temperatures and find their own water. Mm. I, th- I think that's quite a, an interesting that's... thing. And bumb- bumblebees love them. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm doing this next, for example, next to a farm where he's getting lots of funding for what's called like a a, a wildflower strip, which is which is yeah. not a wildflower strip. It's just grass that's not cut. There's public funding for that. There's no public funding for this as a national collection, which may have some of the answers. I think that's an interesting debate to have because some of these some of these collections, you know, there's information that's not been used. So I just find it quite fascinating. Brilliant. No, I think you, you raise a lot of really good points there, Jonathan. Um, now, turning to Cosmos, I mean, here at the Garden Centre, we've we've seen a massive surge in popularity over the over the years, um, and I suppose that leads you know us to stock more varieties, and obviously for you yeah. uh, to grow a lot more too. Yeah, I mean, firstly, that that's 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 great to hear that people are you know trying you know not just consider i mean it's interesting it's it's i think part of the role of, of a national collection holder in my view is to be an advocate of what they grow uh i don't think you know you should be an obsessive so quite frankly you know i don't just i don't just grow cosmos and hollyhocks there's there's all sorts in my garden i know some people may well become that obsessed with the one thing they grow they don't think there's anything else that's great but i think it's great that people grow more cosmos uh, I think if you don't think that you, you know they're one of the best plants in the world as a national collection holder, maybe something's wrong. So I'm a big advocate <laughs> of them. I, you know, I encourage any and everyone to have a go at, at, at Cosmos. Uh, it's great. What I found interesting is that uh, many people, when they've seen some of the plants I've grown, they've asked, "Well, well, what's that?" And it's like, "Well, it's a Cosmos." What do you mean? What's that? And I'm thinking, "Well, do, you know, oh, well, is it a new? No, it's like." the cultivar has been around for ages and i think it's because they had been used to in in certain garden centers just seeing dwarf varieties because that's what on the whole that 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 can be shipped in on trolleys six racks high for, from holland for example because that's the most cost effective way to 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 get plants in so they'd never seen any of the bigger ones mm. and they'd be like you know well, oh wow what's that cupcakes one is that no no it's been around forever oh is it hard oh, no pack of seeds just buy a pack of seeds and have a go or dazzler that you know monty donald i mean that seemingly that's the only the only cosmos he grows but that's a whopper and you don't often see that in many garden centers and i understand why because you know i've got one outside in a pot that may or may not make hampton court that's now bordering on seven foot tall so it's going to be awkward to get in a van <laughs> But that's what the collection can show is that it's not just, you know, one pink one, one white one, one slightly looking red one that's about seven inches tall. Yeah. Um, But that was the – and I was just – it it astounded me, and maybe it was my naivety, that when when sort of I did Hampton Court for the 
but it's the first flower show I've ever, ever done, but when I did it last year, that's what a lot of people who are actually gardeners in the sense they were coming along on the RHS day, so they'd obviously got an interest in gardening, uh, that's all they thought Cosmos were. So it's great to hear, and I think this is part of my role, to talk about all the different sorts that you can get. That you know, Some are bigger, some are a bit more fussy, some are not. Uh, and it's great to hear that maybe people are expanding their interest and finding out that Cosmos isn't just a little bedding plant. It can be other things as well. Yeah, I, I, I grew Cosmos Sonata last year, and it didn't come into flower until it was over six foot tall. Um, so I obviously did something wrong culturally. Um, it was Jack and the Beanstalk all over again. However, when it started to flower, it flowered right through to the, the frost in, in December. So, you know, hey-ho, um, that's the way some plants behave, isn't it? And I suppose this yeah, year... Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, yeah, it's, it's... it's. I mean, what this what they say is, and, and, it, and it's, you know, it's interesting, is that, that I need to get this right, and in terms that if I can understand it, then anyone can. Because uh, to me, it was quite technical when it was explained to me is that Cosmos is a short day flower. It prefers to flower in days that's, that there's less daylight, so under 14 hours, which is therefore in one way a problem because in the summer we have lots of daylight in this country. So quite often, that's one of the reasons uh, why cosmos plants won't start flowering till the back end is because they've been sown at a time that that then they, the, the daylight hours are longer and they struggle to flower so one of the one of the things that happens is that breeders of the seeds produce their seeds in long day countries which means a long day kind of seed should flower in a long day country and a short day country if that makes sense Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons. And yeah. another reason sort of that, 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 that some people sort of struggle with Cosmos is they're too kind to them. So they're natives of Mexico. They in, sort of in their home, they were grown in poor soil, whereas here they keep feeding them with high nitrogen feed. And so the plant thinks, hey, this is great. I'm going to keep putting on greenery. <laughs> yeah. and that's they, why yours got to six foot. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. It's not flowering. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to keep feeding it a bit more. Yeah. And and the plant says, "Oh, this is even great. I'm still not going to flower. I don't need to flower because <laughs> I don't need to set seeds. This is wonderful." Which is kind of what I've tried to do with this big dazzler for a bit of showmanship is to get it quite big to show that that you know that's what happens. But you know the advice is, you know, don't give it huge amounts of, of high nitrogen feed because they'll just love it and certainly with some of the bigger the ones that are just have a natural propensity to be bigger will then grow very big and almost tree-like with three flowers on. Yeah. So I, I guess, Jonathan, when you started this, I mean, we are talking to Jill earlier about one of the great things that national collectors do is essentially share knowledge like you've just been sharing with us is that something you anticipated sort of being a big part of the role when you started your national collections or was it you were more interested in just the plants and you thought oh better start learning a bit more about these well well i i sometimes you know it's i i do have imposter syndrome here because I still kind of think, what you know what, more than what, me about cosmos, and I, I'm a garden centre well, owner. I, I don't. I'm not sure. This is this, and somebody. Uh, I won't. I won't name them, but but they're obviously like sort of a big buyer and breeder and all the rest of it. One of the big companies kind of shouted at me and says, "If you say, you know, 
you're you're not, then then you know that's not true because I would be coming to you for advice to determine whether to stock three hundred thousand of these things. Yep. Mm. And it was like, oh, 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 right. Mm. Uh, so did I ever anticipate it? No. Do I still feel feel fraudulent when I go and do talks to gardening clubs? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, okay, I can talk about, and I've always been, you know, my background's in, in politics and public affairs. Talking's kind of never been a problem, and I don't mind talking about stuff I know. But I will be very open about stuff that I don't know, and I think sometimes some people have a problem with that, saying, saying I don't know. Yeah. But I, I still feel a little bit fraudulent, but I find, I, I think, you know, the day you stop wanting to learn and think you know everything, that's the day you should give up. Definitely. And that's the bit I like about the National Commission. I am constantly learning, and I absolutely love sharing it, because why wouldn't you share it? Yeah. You, should, you know, you don't want to, some people like to keep, you know, it's a bit of a power thing. I'm going to keep this information and, and not tell anyone about it because then I'll be the smartest man in the room. And, you know, the old yeah. adage is, well, then you're in the, you're in the wrong room, aren't you? Mm. So absolutely love sharing. Well, you know, this is what I do. Oh, you know, a bit like with, with the, 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 the high nitrogen feed, you know, somebody at Hampton Court said, you know, I've just manured this rose thing. Should I put my cosmos? And they said, well, well I wouldn't. Well, why? Because I think, well, you can. I mean, always you learn more from your mistakes than, mm. than anything that people tell you. So sometimes go and do it. But my view is that you know, you'll get a load of green trippage and you'll be really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Another example is every year, and I really should probably write about it on the every year people get sort of the fear of missing out and about sowing seeds. And we all know that on Cosmos Packs, it says you can sow from February. Well, yeah, you can. And I constantly am saying, okay, but what are you going to do with your plant in May when there's still a frost? I've got a lot of space to have stuff in polytunnels and do what are you going to do? And even then I wouldn't really be wanting to sow at the start of February. And then, oh, they've got really leggy. Why is that? I said, because you sowed them really early. So sharing that information that, you know, just wait, just be patient. But I also don't want, you know, because people will say, well, what, what's the worst that happens? It's like, well, you get really leggy plants and they die. That's the worst. And you've wasted your time. And that's your most valuable resource is your time. So maybe wait a little. This is my wait a bit. The only reason I sowed mine this early is to go to a flower show, because quite frankly, if you weren't aiming for a specific date, the later you sow, the less hassle they are. And sharing that kind of information mm. is, is, is great, because then you know to get emails back to say, I've grown Cosmos because of your posts on Facebook, and, and I'm having another go at hollyhocks, and it's amazing. It gives you that's a little boost, it. doesn't it? And I think yeah, that's, that's the best thing about gardening is that we can share mm. our sort of experiences. And I know I was having a chat with my mother, who's the one who's taught me everything I know about gardening, quite literally. And uh, um, the fact that I was discussing courgettes with her and the fact that I'm growing a one that I tried last year for the first time and it, I thought was the best gorget I've ever tried and it was this little round green one and she's like oh I've never tried that so this year I've given her some and hopefully she'll be able to grow them and get the same experience that I did but yeah and that's just sharing isn't it it's just part of being a good gardener I think most definitely yes. well, I think I think I yeah I totally agree is that I, I think you know inclusive inclusivity means lots of things but within gardening it also means that, that there is that community whereby well of course you're going to share that information and so you know i now go and, and, and end up chatting with lots of people uh, talking about using peat-free compost for example because i do 
Yeah. And and I get so many people. The, the, the quote is often, I'm not going to use the vulgar quote, but all peat free is useless. Mm. It's like, mm. okay. And, and that's kind of, they want that to be the end of the conversation because they've decided. And it's like, well, the very fact that me as an amateur, so not a professional, and therefore, you know, it, surely in one way it should be harder for me, can grow medal-winning plants using it, should make you question why you can't grow a, a, a you know, a, a tray of seeds. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what you're doing. Because I would rather, you know, I want you to be successful as a grower. And, you know, let's let's be truthful here. In a year or so, you're going to have to grow in peat-free. So mm-hmm. instead of bemoaning that it's all useless, mm-hmm. you're asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Ask, okay, John, well, how do you do it? Okay, this is what I've learned. You know, some of it is rubbish that's being sold. Absolutely. Some of it sets like tarmac, one version that, that when it dried out that I tried. But this is what I do. <laughs> Let, yeah. Let's kind of move together instead of, you know. Yeah, yeah. just saying it's rubbish. It, and, tried, yeah, because yeah, mm. that's not going to help you no. because yeah. you're going to have no option soon. Mm. So it's that kind of, you know, those kind of debates and chats that you can have to you know, encourage people. And I think that's what it's all about for me. Jonathan, we, we, we chance often on Diggit about, obviously, peat free. It's a very contentious subject. So for your Alatheas, your Hollyhocks and your, your Cosmos, do you have a, your own sort of formula, your own magic mix you use for uh, for seed sowing, <laughs> no, which you'd like to divulge? No. <laughs> yeah, well, I can tell you what I use. So I, I, first of all, I'm just tr- I'm trying to be more self-sufficient in terms of compost because... You know, in terms of trying to be more sustainable, uh, and I always laugh when you know I watch the Chelsea Flower Show and and you see some things and they're claiming to be to be fully sustainable. No, you're not. None of us are. We're just trying to improve uh, what we do. So, I I I planted a lot of willow when I was here, and I wood chipped that, and that's finally you know it's taken a, a year or so, a couple of years, and that's making some really nice looking compost that I have to sieve. I think people are almost having to start thinking about that. But in terms of uh, sowing my seeds for both of them, you know, I'm very open and I write about it. And, and, and I always say I'm happy to try others and I constantly try different brands and different makes But But I use uh, Melcourt Silver Grow purely, I think, for the texture as much as anything. And I think that's what, what uh, people don't realize. I, I constantly question lots of peat-free where it says multi-purpose because I don't think it is multi-purpose. I think now different ones currently can be used for different things. So, so for example, I would happily use, let's say, New Horizon, which seems more fibrous in planters. I wouldn't use it for my seeds, because if I turn my back and it develops a crust, that crust it seems rock hard and the seeds don't seem to like coming through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I use Melcourt Silver Grow, but... And it works okay for me. People will throw back and say, well, yeah, that's all right for you because Cosmos grow in rubbish. <laughs> yeah. They'll grow anywhere. Because I grow, I, I, I grow other plants in it as well. What I, I don't accept is when I hear some growers say, I can't grow in peat-free. And then actually what it really means is they haven't really tried and don't want to try until the very last minute, which I think is, a bit of a mistake so i i absolutely get that lots of professional growers need perhaps more help and guidance when you're growing and growing as a business 
but you know, I think you know the Southern Hemisphere seems to manage without Pete. And look, there are, there are issues with all replacements. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. look, my watering regime is really interesting. So I'm very passionate. I oh, my collections survive on rainwater that I collect. I collect twenty thousand liters of rainwater. So stuff that's in the ground doesn't get watered here and seems to survive okay. But that's because of the things I'm growing. But all the other stuff, it's delivered by hand, and that comes back to the polytunnels in fifty-five degree heat. That is a chore in itself. Mm. And watering using peat-free is very different than using peat. So I don't necessarily think it uses more water. I just think, for me, there's a bigger labor issue, and, and I am the labor, uh, of having to water more often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan, so thinking about your your, your, uh, your hollyhocks and cosmos, do you have any particular favorite varieties out of the, the huge number you're growing at uh, on your on your Lincolnshire oh, garden site? Is that yeah, too difficult? Crikey, that's, like, that, that's asking, like, who's your favorite child? I mean, obviously, I was my mum's favorite, <laughs> but that, that, that goes without saying. Uh I've all. I mean, look, it sounds a bit a bit naff, but I but I do believe this. I've always believed that in any garden, every plant has its what I call its day in the sun. It's king of the castle, so mm-hmm. to speak. So, for some that lasts, you know, a week, and for other other flowers that can literally be, you know, a matter of minutes where it almost looks perfect. You, know, it might be the right light. So, you know, in that sense, I think it, you know it depends when you're asking. But in terms of favourites. I mean, crikey! I think I like the halo varieties. That I think I think it was Thompson Morgan when they used to do lots of breeding they, for hollyhocks. So there's halo cream, halo apricot, uh, halo lavender. I think they're amazing. Uh, slightly smaller than some of the more traditional ones. Uh, if you like doubles, and I think doubles still have, have a role. I know, know people get a bit sniffy saying that you know that they're not good for bees. Well, I've seen plenty of bumblebees sleeping in them. So I'm not convinced that they're not good for bees. Some of the Chaters varieties, it was bred by a man called William Chater, and his name's still on them. They're mm-hmm. amazing. In terms of Cosmos, again, some of the more traditional ones like Gloria, Dazzler, Purity uh, are great. But then you get ones, and I've mentioned this already, like Cupcakes Blush, which is just amazing. And the, still the number of people that have never seen it because it looks so different apricotta which came out recently uh actually didn't seem that popular at hampton court i don't know why i think it's amazing and then this year i've got a brand new cultivar i saw some seed from somewhere called pink mosaic and i think it's amazing it starts out white and then whether it's the heat or the sun turns it almost like mottled pink and it's Mm -hmm. as if raindrops have touched it and and mottled it it's not rain. That's what it looks like, and it, oh, and it's yeah. amazing. Brilliant. So, so that's just some of my face. But it, but literally, it will change. So when a rubenza is at its peak, that looks amazing, yeah. and it just depends on what time of day and mm. you know which one's flowered and looking at its best. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a tough question, but uh, no, thank you, thank you for your uh, your honesty, and uh, that's all good. So next, uh, obviously, you're, you're you're going to the Hampton Court Flower Show uh, once again, uh, Jonathan. So, what uh, what can visitors expect uh, on your your display in the the Plant Heritage uh, stand? Yeah, yeah. So this is, I say, this is this is. I mean, I am counting down the days. It's in in six days. I will be packing a van with whatever kind of 
looks good. And and again, as an amateur grower, just to give sort of listeners an idea, uh, obviously professional growers will know this. I probably sowed three thousand cosmos to end up taking seventeen terracotta pots with me. Wow! Some, you know, and and well, in in one way, you know, successionally sowing because when you did it the first year, you kind of think, well, was that a fluke? Uh, did they flower at that, that time? Is the weather going to be the same? The spring was hugely challenging. I didn't think it was going to ha- have anything growing, and then these last couple of weeks, I this is no joke, nearly killed me because I have been carrying one by one these big terracotta pots in and out and i mean when i say in not just out of the polytunnel inside the living room and the house is full of them and the deck is <laughs> is full of them so we will get something there but uh, whether it looks great that'll be for the judges to decide but in terms of what can they see so plant heritage will have almost a zone, as I understand it, within the floral marquee. And this year, they're, they're at, at the very back, but that's where all the best people are, is what I tell everybody. In terms of my little stand, it's, uh, I can't remember how big it is, let's say 2.4 metres square, of which, compared to kind of others, my plants won't be in plastic pots that are then hidden by wood chip. My plants will be now, the roots are at the bottom of these big old terracotta pots. And essentially, it will be just a two-tier square in the middle and then all around it with hopefully kind of as many different cultivars as I can fit on. So I worked out that I could probably at most fit maybe 17 of these pots. And then obviously, because it's a plant heritage display, you provide some educational material. So that may be about how you sow and grow them. I talk about how, you know, I, I try to grow sustainably, which would, you know, that comes back to, I don't need to spray the cosmos with any pesticides. They're grown in peat free. They're grown using stored rainwater, which I think is going to become more of an issue for all gardeners and growers. I've even got a sign that people really should look out for with a big old cow on it, because I talk about how actually there's research which shows that feeding cosmos by pinatus to cows uh, cuts methane emissions by 16% and methane's probably the most dangerous greenhouse gas above and beyond anything else mm-hmm. and sort of links into it link, links into kind of how cultivars and these kind of plants may have solutions for other problems that we don't know about a bit like it's not just about medicines from plants uh, these things can you know solve all other problems so mm-hmm. that's part of me having to it's not a tick box it's part of the role really that, that I am judged upon different criteria than, than purely the plants. If you are, it's, I think it's called the Lindley criteria. So there has to be some kind of educational component there. Mm-hmm. So there'll, there'll, there'll be bits of that now. Quite frankly, people never really read any of it. So it was amusing last year. I got I had one mark knocked off because my font was too small. I kid you not. <laughs> which, is, which, is, which, which is why it was, was not a gold medal by all accounts. Not that I'm still bitter. Anyway. Moving on. Yeah, but the public, I mean, I'm, I'm honest about this. The public, are, you have to really try and get them engaged on that educational part because actually they come to a flower show and they want to see pretty flowers and maybe buy some seeds. And that's no bad thing either, and I don't criticise that at all. So hopefully, you know, that's the kind of stuff they'll see. And then Plant Heritage will have, which is, I think it's fascinating. I don't need any more because I'm not allowed any more seeds, but they will have a, a seed shop of seeds from different plant collections that have been collected. 
and you know people can go up and talk to some of the experts who I call the proper growers. You've got people who you know are taking their hostas and have the national collection of hostas. They'll be able to talk to all the national collection holders and maybe I'll convince a few people to join Plant Heritage and wouldn't it be wonderful if a bit like what I was, they get a new national collection holder in a couple of years from somebody that's seen actually they could give it a go. Mm, definitely. And talking about sort of shows, do you open your garden up to view so people can come and have a look at all your lovely hollyhocks and you know, it, cosmos? Yeah, it, 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 I feel quite bad in the sense that, that these collections were initially, it was initially set up during COVID, right. uh, which, which so, so that ruled stuff out. And then last year ruled out kind of like the open day because when you're doing it as just one man on his own and his wife will take a week off work if it can be really nice to her and do the flower show, that kind of precluded doing it last year and it'll be the same this year. So, you know, we've had people come almost by appointment, but yep. we've not been able to do sort of the full open day. Pure, it was purely you know, weighing up, I can't do the two collections and a flower show and an open day. And it was juggling those. So we thought, you know, t- talking with, with the guys at Plant Heritage, we'll do a couple of the flower shows and we might have a go at doing the Chelsea Flower Show next year, but I've not told you that. And then what I'd quite like to do is get sort of this site more into what I would, you know, a fit site for people to come and visit. I mean, the issue we've got here in Lincolnshire is rabbits. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so scared that people are going to come and break the leg on all the, the massive divots. So <laughs> I, I need to, the, 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 yeah, the plants are doing fine. It's, it's just where people have to walk around. But yeah, the, the intention would be then to, to hopefully have an open day. But, but you know, in the meantime, people have you know, come and visited and had a look at the, the cosmos. But I, mean, I am very open. You know, doing ten days at Hampton Court, your own garden suffers mm, without so a doubt. Indeed especially at this time of year. At least you won't have to be moving quite so many pots backwards and forwards once you finish the show. <laughs> two, I think I did 250 pots for seven, you know, so, so these initial sowings went down, you know, some, some don't make it and some have, you know, fasciation and look ridiculous and all the rest of it. And, but, but terracotta pots wise, there was over 200 and, and which is fine. But then when it, when the heat kicks in, it's the watering and, mm. you know, so they go outside. And then as we know, sort of this week, then there's storms uh, mm. predicted, which rains fine. But if, you know, a 20 mile an hour wind comes and, and topples them all over, uh, it can be a bit it? of disaster. Yeah. Uh, but, that you know, hey, if, if you don't want to do it, then, you know, don't moan about it because you know what you're letting yourself in for. So I knew so, that's what I was letting myself in for. But it's, it's, it, it's the analogy is, you know, it's Sir Alex Ferguson, it's, it's for me now it's the squeaky bum time of six days will will they all be okay i'm bringing them in the house so nothing will (laughs) destroy them and that's jonathan why we 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 do what we do isn't it it's all about the anticipation yeah um we we do we do like to put our uh, expert guests on the spots and uh, so if you're ever stranded on that you know uh, make believe desert island which plant or gardening implement would you like to be stranded with, and uh, maybe why? Well, I, I love secateur. I mean, my wife laughs at me because uh, I'm one of. The, I don't have OCD in any sense. I'm untidy and all the rest of it. But for stuff I like, I always have to have a spare. So if I have a set of secateurs, I might have then like my one for best that's still not been used. So I love my secateurs, and I, you know, I love my sneebo tools. 
but I, you know, I think I can always get more of them. So I can't get any more of my granddad's galvanized watering can that I have. Ah, and I uh, remember him watering his bedding plants that was, you know, crikey. It was Alison and, and, and French marigolds one after the other in a, what would now be seen as very old fashioned, but I've got his watering can. So it'd be that. Brilliant. And they last forever, don't they? It's such a good thing that tools oh, from yeah, better than yeah, yeah. T- uh, tools from a hundred years ago are still going, whereas yeah. the ones made twenty years yep. ago have been in the in the skip for the last ten yeah. years. <laughs> That's it. And have you picked up any good stories you can share with us, a joke or a funny funny tale uh, from any of the experiences you've had whilst um, gardening or keeping plants? I can give you a story that I laugh about now and he laughs about that I didn't find so funny. Literally a year ago in six days. So so I've done done a few a couple of things with Adam Frost uh in terms of sort of pushing the gardening agenda. And when I said to him, I sent him a message saying I was gonna do Hampton Court, you know, I said, I've no idea how do you get plants down? I mean I literally had no how do you get plants to a flower show? I have no idea. They said you need to get some of these these trolleys, and so I was like, "Where do you get them?" So I had a look on eBay and I bought these trolleys. I said, "Well, you know, what kind of van do I need?" So he said, "You know, get get a Luton van." Anyway, so so it was really helpful. So you know, we got a Luton van, and I, I made sure my wife drove it in case sort of if it bounced, I'd blame her if all the plants were broken. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So she she got it into our plot and she was taking our cat and dog to the to, to the kennels because we were going to Hampton Court and and so she left me and I'm getting these trolleys out and I put them on on the tail lift and I lifted it up and no one told me that Luton vans the back doors aren't all the same size did they so I've got six of these trolleys which means there's twenty four of these metal posts mm. all three inches too big. Oh, so no. I spent I spent literally a year a year ago uh, angle grinding <laughs> <laughs> twenty four of these metal posts three inches off the top so they'd fit in the van. Oh. Anyway, that's my funny story, which wasn't funny at the time because it does show you kind of yeah. some of the crazy things you end up doing to to Ooh. promote your little national collection. And I, and I obviously make let Adam Frost know this regularly that it's down to him that if you see my trolleys they're all cut at a quirky little angle the top three inches have gone off them brilliant well at least now jonathan we know where to go if we need some um uh, <laughs> slightly shorter danish trolleys than yeah. <laughs> everyone yeah. else uses. that's brilliant yeah, I, know, I, I know how you can do it really quickly but <laughs> <laughs> well, the handy bits of kit aren't they uh, for transporting plants yeah. and uh, for, yeah like yeah. you say they are quite tall but it, equally we do have some extension pieces yes uh, at the yeah. garden center that we use so if you, yeah, you, if you need to put an extra shelf back on yours ah, just let us know we we'll, we'll give you we some, some extra ones i can put them back to their original height <laughs> <That's you? it. laughs> uh, jonathan how do our digit listeners find out more about your your wonderful national collections oh crikey uh well they could i've got a, a, a very poor website if they want to check out britishcosmos.com uh they could probably find mm-hmm. out bits and bobs what i'm doing they can always find me on Twitter or Instagram uh, at the J Shepherd, which is S H E double P A R D. I think my website has a bit of a blog and a, a seed shop, which has some of the say probably has more 
Cosmos seeds on it than, than any seed company, actually. And then, of course, people should probably have, have a look at the plantheritage.org.uk website for more information about national plant collections in general. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you. Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I've learned so much about both both uh, both Hollyhocks and uh, Cosmos. I must admit, I, uh, I would have to look at my feeding regimes. I don't want Triffid Cosmos this year. Um, <laughs> by all means, I'm treat, going to have to treat them. Treat, treat, treat them mean. Indeed. <laughs> That's mean. it. Excellent. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you very much for your time today. No, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.